On August 2, 1956, Pardners with Jerry Lewis and Dean Martin, Francis in the Haunted House, and That Certain Feeling starring Bob Hope were playing in movie theaters. The voices of Bob and Ray, Bing Crosby, and Edward R. Murrow were heard on network radio. Climax presented Child of the Wind, starring Agnes Moorhead, on the CBS television network. And Charles Einstein, editor of the Fireside Book of Baseball, turned 30 years old. Where have you gone, Charles Einstein? Welcome to Where Have You Gone? People, places, and things that are gone but not forgotten, forgotten but not gone, and the people and places saving these stories for your enjoyment and benefit today. I'm Morris Eckhouse. Charles Einstein was born on August 2, 1926. He died on March 7, 2007. He was a Pulitzer Prize-nominated author of 34 books, more than 300 radio and television scripts, and more than 400 magazine articles and stories. He's the son of comedian Harry Einstein and half-brother of Albert Brooks and Bob Einstein, also known as Super Dave Osborne. When Charles died in 2007, Albert called him a brilliant guy. Brooks said, and he would tell you stories and jokes as long as you would listen. Einstein wrote The Bloody Spur, the 1952 novel that became the 1956 film While the City Sleeps. The film, directed by Fritz Lang, features an all-star cast led by Dana Andrews, Rhonda Fleming, George Sanders, Thomas Mitchell, Vincent Price, Sally Forrest, and Ida Lupino. His book, Willie's Time, is a memoir, and it covers the time period 1945 to 1974 through the presidents of that time period, Harry, Ike, JFK, LBJ, and Nixon, in reference to Harry Truman, Dwight David Eisenhower, John Fitzgerald Kennedy, Lyndon Baines Johnson, and Richard Milhouse Nixon. He uses the career of Willie Mays to illuminate mid-20th century America. Einstein, to me, is best known as the editor of the Fireside Book of Baseball, four in total. The original Fireside Books and his memoir, Willie's Time, are included in Mike Shannon's Diamond Classics, essays on 100 of the best baseball books ever published. There's also a chapter devoted to Einstein and Shannon's book, Baseball the Writer's Game. Einstein's 1976 novel, The Blackjack Hijack, was adapted into the 1978 TV movie, Nowhere to Run, directed by Richard Lang. It's the story of Harry Allen, a structural engineer who develops the perfect betting system. The film stars David Jansen, Linda Evans, and Stephanie Powers. 
I'm now reading directly from the back flap of the dust jacket of the first Fireside Book of Baseball about the editor. Charles Einstein, first as baseball editor of International News Service and later as a freelance writer, has written some three or four million words about the game in the post-war era. His output has included articles and short stories in some 40 different magazines and a number of books, among which were a novel, The Only Game in Town, and a collaboration with Willie Mays on the latter's autobiography, Born to Play Ball. All this has combined to make him not only a ranking expert, particularly well-fitted to have put together this collection of outstanding baseball literature, but, by inference, a giant fan as well. Born in Boston and a graduate of the University of Chicago, he nonetheless has spent most of his life to date as a resident of the New York area. Recently, however, he and his wife and four children moved from Ardsley, New York, an easy half-hour's drive to the polo grounds where the Giants then played, to a desert mountain home in Scottsdale, Arizona, an easy half-hour's drive to Phoenix, where the Giants train. I began this episode with a few notes regarding August 2, 1956, Einstein's 30th birthday. That was just a couple months after While the City Sleeps premiered in U.S. movie theaters. It was around the time of the publication of the first fireside book of baseball in 1956 Einstein could not have known that it would be the first of four anthologies under the general heading the fireside book of baseball and unless he was really prescient it was impossible to know that his beloved giants were going to be the San Francisco giants and not the New York giants in a matter of just a couple years. Let's take a short break, and then I'll continue with a more chronological look at the life and career of Charles Einstein. We hope you are enjoying this episode of Where Have You Gone?, For more information about the show, its topics, and its guests, check out our website at whygpodcast.com. There you can also find recommendations for fascinating books, films, TV shows, and recordings to learn even more about our topics, guests, and ideas. You can also find us on Facebook, at Where Have You Gone Podcast and on Twitter at WHYG Podcast. And now, back to the episode. Charles Einstein is best known for the four volumes of the Fireside Book of Baseball, his great baseball anthology. He's next best known for Willie's Time, a memoir, originally published in 1979. Willie's Time is not a biography of Willie Mays. 
And it's not an autobiography of Charles Einstein. It's a memoir. It's the story that Einstein wants to tell us using Willie Mays to connect the late 1940s, early 1950s up to the 1970s, from the presidency of Harry Truman to the presidency of Richard Nixon. There is no biography or autobiography of Charles Einstein, but in reading Willie's time, as Einstein talks about himself in places, it's possible to start putting together a timeline of Charles Einstein's career. In about 1935, he'd been at a baseball game at the Polo Grounds. When the game ended, he vaulted over the box seat railing and ran out to center field where he imagined himself a center fielder when he was old enough to be a Major League Baseball player. That did not happen. He was a graduate of the University of Chicago. From December 1945 to July 1949, he was Midwest sports editor at the Chicago INS Bureau. INS is International News Service. International News Service was created by William Randolph Hearst in 1909. It merged with United Press in May 1958 to become United Press International, or UPI. In June 1951, he met Willie Mays while working for INS. He was one of seven INS staff covering the third game of the 1951 National League playoff on October 3, 1951. That was the game between the New York Giants and the Brooklyn Dodgers at the Polo Grounds. The Giants winning on the Bobby Thompson home run to win the National League pennant and go into the World Series. One of the most famous and memorable baseball games ever played. In 1952, Einstein was medical editor, and he also performed some political coverage. He was also writing short stories. By 1954, Einstein had left INS and was a freelance writer working from home in Ardsley, New York. He was the ghostwriter for a little book with Mays titled Born to Play Ball. In 1956, he moved to Arizona. By 1957, he was a general columnist for the San Francisco Examiner. He wrote a column from Los Angeles during the Democratic National Convention at the Los Angeles Memorial Sports Arena. In 1961, he was reassigned to cover the San Francisco Giants. Subsequently, still in the early 1960s, Einstein left the Examiner. He returned to freelance writing, and he also wrote a baseball column three days a week for the San Francisco Chronicle. He also did some political work and writing, including working for Sam Goddard. Sam Goddard ran for governor of Arizona in 1962 and lost to the incumbent Republican Paul Fannin. In 1964, Fannin ran for senator and won. Goddard then defeated Richard Kleindingst, 53% to 47%, and served as the 12th governor of Arizona from January 4, 1965 to January 2, 1967. If the name Richard Kleindingst is familiar to you, it might be as the Attorney General of the United States from June 12, 1972 to April 30, 1973. The Watergate burglary took place five days after Kleindingst became Attorney General. He resigned the position in 1973, 
citing his close connection to associates implicated in the Watergate scandal. As Willie's time continues, Einstein writes less and less about the development of his own career during the late 1960s and early 1970s. That's what I called from Willie's time, and as I've been working on Charles Einstein and learning more about his career and the variety of his work, I've thought that it's kind of a shame that the editor of the greatest baseball anthology of all time doesn't have an anthology of his own writing. If he did, it would include something from Willie's time and the only game in town. Excerpts from both of those were in different volumes of the Fireside anthologies. It would include something from his novel, The Bloody Spur, the basis for the film While the City Sleeps, and something from the Blackjack Hijack, the basis for the TV film Nowhere to Run. Einstein wrote the story and co-wrote the screenplay for No Time at All, a 1958 episode of Playhouse 90. The cover of a paperback issue of the book calls the story Playhouse 90's greatest production of the year. What about the other books and more than 300 radio and television scripts and more than 400 magazine articles and stories? They're the biographies he wrote with Juan Marichal, A Pitcher's Story, and Orlando Cepeda, My Ups and Downs in Baseball, and his 1962 book, A Flag for San Francisco. One Einstein article, Reflex Curve, was published in Collier's Magazine on June 14, 1952. It's anthologized in Fielder's Choice, an anthology of baseball fiction, edited by Jerome Holtzman. Einstein also wrote the nonfiction, How to Win at Blackjack. That certainly deserves a place in a Charles Einstein anthology. The Internet Movie Database, IMDb, does not show a writing credit for A Man Named Maze, the television documentary produced by Lee Mendelssohn in the early 1960s. But the website for Lee Mendelssohn Film Productions credits Einstein as writer and narrator. And that's good enough for me. IMDb gives Einstein credit for writing one episode of the TV show Lou Grant in 1978. Lou Grant was a television series starring Ed Asner as Lou Grant, reprising the role he created in The Mary Tyler Moore Show. But this time, Grant is running a newspaper newsroom rather than the newsroom of a TV station. So that's certainly enough for a Charles Einstein anthology. But until somebody puts all of that between the covers of a single book, the best option is to find these books and stories as you can. They're available at many libraries and for purchase at a variety of internet sources. They're out there to be read and enjoyed. And I think you'll enjoy the next segment of Where Have You Gone, Charles Einstein, when I'm joined by novelist Wallace Strobe after a short break. For more information about Where Have You Gone, this episode and other episodes in the series, visit our website, whygpodcast.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you for listening. Like Charles Einstein, my guest Wallace Strobe is a crime novelist and was a newspaper man. 
and about 20 years ago, Einstein's editor at the Newark Star-Ledger. Strobe's books include The Barbed Wire Kiss, The Heartbreak Lounge, and four novels featuring the heroine Sarah Cross. Hello, Wallace. Thanks for joining me to talk about Charles Einstein. Wallace, did you know much about Charles Einstein before you became his editor at the Newark Star-Ledger in 2000? No, I didn't. All I knew is that he'd been writing this column, this Atlantic City column, for a number of years, I think close to 20, uh, which predated my time at the Ledger. Uh, I did not, I only knew him as a columnist. I never made the connection to the earlier work. And that only came out of conversations that I used to have with Charlie about his column that he would write every week that I was the editor of. And it was a it was a small it was always a short column. It was sort of very breezy. It wasn't really it wasn't really much to it. But uh, Charlie would actually type it and FedEx it in, and then a clerk would uh, type it into the newsroom system because Charlie didn't have a computer at that time. So. Um, he would call me up to make sure I got it, and we would talk. And then gradually over our conversations, because I think around that time I had to, I had I was finishing up a book, or I had an agent and was uh, trying to sell a book, and we started to talk about that. And then he let me. He kind of, kind of not outright, but kind of said some things that made me think that he was actually that he had written some novels. And then of course I looked him up. And uh, he was all over the place. Then I saw, you know, his incredible history uh, of everything he'd done and his his unique family. And uh, so from then on, then, I had more information to ask questions. So when he would call me and we would talk, I would ask him uh, other things. And that's gradually how I found out about him. You you mentioned his family, and he was uh, of a line of funny people, his father, his half-brothers. Was he humorous in his dealings with you? Yeah, always. He always had a joke. Um, he would save it to tell me when he called me. They, they were usually, uh, you know, old jokes. Uh, so yeah, but he was always uh, he was always that way. Um, he shared that. I don't, you know, his father, as you know, was a was a famous radio comedian named uh, whose nickname was Parky Carcass, and yeah. he was on the Eddie Cantor show for years. So, yeah, Charlie came from a – and then his um, – as I'm sure you mentioned, uh, his half-brother was uh, his, um, Albert Brooks, Albert Einstein. Right. And, um, and his other half-brother um, just passed away recently. Yeah, Bob, Bob Einstein. As, yeah, Bob Super, Einstein. Super yeah. Dave. Super Dave, yeah, Super Dave Osborne. You guys were kind of of two different generations. I think Charlie was about uh, 35. 25, 35 years older than you. Uh, his newspaper career went back to the 1940s. Was the relationship comfortable right away, or did it get there? How did? How was that? Well, you know, as I said, it, my first dealings with him, I had taken over as the editor of the Sunday Entertainment section, which is called Spotlight, and that was where his column ran. So that just became part of my duties, dealing with the column editing the column. 
and then gradually with our with our conversations uh as i started as i said as i started to realize who he was that gave me uh, you know more grounds to come up with questions to ask him and i was fascinated to learn all that stuff and once you asked about it i mean charlie wouldn't he wouldn't start telling you something unless you asked so but when you started to ask and when you know obviously you knew specific things to ask him then he had all kinds of stories you know he had all kinds of anecdotes and various things so, but you had to kind of prompt him a little bit. You know, he wasn't, he, he didn't always uh, lead with uh, what he had done. He was, he was a little bit, a little bit humble about that until you actually asked him. And it, it looks like you caught on to that. And, and over time, you did some homework. It sounds like over the years, you took full advantage of the relationship you had with him. Oh, yeah. I always look forward to talking with him. And at that time, as I said, I was, I had a, agent who was handling a, a book of mine trying to find a home for it. Uh, now, that agent didn't, but then my next agent did. Uh, and Charlie had known the first agent, who was also an elderly guy. He had known him back in the 60s and 70s when Charlie wrote for a well-known paperback original line called Philosophy Gold Medal, which is kind of legendary back then. John D. McDonald wrote for it. And Charlie had actually uh, written for that line, and that was quite a prestigious line back in the 60s. Was that person Knox Berger? Yes, it was. Knox Berger was my first agent, yeah. He was 80s at the time, I believe, and he was not well. So he was not my agent that long. Um, I think he only sent the book out once. And then um, I had another agent that took me on, and she sold the book. So it was that whole period of time where I was dealing with uh, revising the book and trying to get it out there again. And so I, w I was talking to Charlie the whole time. I think I took over as Charlie's editor, if my memory serves, in 2000. Uh, my first book, The Barbed Kiss, came out in 2003. Uh, it sold in 2001. So there was that period of time, 2000, 2001, when I got Charlie on the phone, basically we talked about books. In a very broad sense, you and Charlie, uh, you're a novelist, he was a novelist. Is there a stronger connection between his writing and your writing? I don't think so. I was pretty well formed as a writer before I, you know, before I met Charlie. And as I say, I never actually met Charlie. I only, I talked to him on the phone sometimes twice a week, sometimes more. And we had made plans a couple of times for me to get down and visit him. He's living in outside Atlantic City. Uh, and I was on the shore, you know, up in, uh, Monmouth County. Mm -hmm. Uh, but it just never happened. And then I regretted it afterwards. And after he passed, I regretted the fact I'd never gone down there. So it was only going to be like a 90 minute ride. I just enjoyed, and I, I still enjoy talking to people who have, you know, who can recount firsthand, um, glory days of publishing or newspapers or everything. You know, I, I will, I can listen to that stuff for hours. So I always, you know, when, when I hooking with somebody who, uh, who has that first person stuff to share, you know, I will pepper them with questions. You know, I, I love that stuff. Along that line, you were both newspaper men, albeit from different generations. Did yeah, you different generations, talk, yeah. Talk about changes in the business from his early days to the 21st century? Well, uh, you know, the, the business had changed so much that, you know, as I said, Charlie was not really hooked into modern newspapers he was typing his he was typing his column every week so you know and that's all he had been doing for the paper he wasn't doing any other stories he's just doing this brief column mm -hmm. uh, so he wasn't really he wasn't really um a staff writer he was he was always a freelancer did you talk much about baseball 
No, uh, I don't, you know, I followed it as a kid, but not, not later in life. So no, I didn't. I didn't. I knew, I think, about Charlie's fiction writing before I knew about that, the fact that he was a seminal baseball anthologist. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, he, had re- and then he, he did send me a video that he produced about Willie Mays called Willie's Game. Yeah. And he's in it, and Charlie's actually in it. Um, so that was, I knew him, I knew him first as a columnist. I knew him then as a second as a fiction writer. And then I realized what, you know, that he had done so much baseball scholarship. Did you guys ever talk about blackjack? Uh, the game? Yes. Uh, yeah, no, no, we, no, we never talked about, we never talked yeah. about gambling as far as I know. Cause I, cause I know he, he wrote a book about blackjack and, and, you know, one of his novels, uh, blackjack hijack maybe. Yes, exactly right. Yeah. It had, it had, a, yeah. It had a blackjack theme to it, but I, I guess neither one of us has tried his system yet. No, no, I'm not a gambler. <laughs> No, I, what I what I wanted to know from um, Charlie was, uh, you know, I wanted to know about, you know, when he first got into, you know, publishing and writing, and um, you know, and there was uh, some people from that era that was still around, and uh, you know, Charlie had all kinds of stories because Charlie was there, and uh, I really appreciate you getting a chance to, you know, having the opportunity to talk to him. And I appreciate your taking the time to talk to me. As I was doing research on this episode, I was doing Google searches and so forth, and I came across your tribute to him from uh, March 12, 2007, yeah. just after he had passed away. And it is beautifully written. It was uh, informative. I, I learned some things that I had not known before. It's still out there on the Internet if Somebody does a Google search, Wallace Strobe and Charles Einstein. I'm sure it will pop up, and, and with our social media, we'll get the address out so people can look to that. I knew of Charles Einstein since I was a kid, and for a while, I ran a baseball organization called the Society for American Baseball Research in the 1990s, and yet mm-hmm. I never met Charles or, or corresponded with him, and so I regret that. But I'm glad you got that opportunity and uh, were nice enough to share it with us today. Uh, yeah, and as I said, well, so thanks for your comments on on the piece I wrote. Um, I did, once I got to know Charlie a little bit, I, I hunted down a copy um, of his first novel, a book called The Bloody Spur, which is made into the uh, movie While the City Sleeps. And I got a copy of that first paperback and sent it to Charlie to uh, sign for me, which he did. He signed it, uh, Where Were You When I Needed You? <laughs> So that was great. So that's that's like a, a treasured thing of mine. And I have some of his other books, too, some of his early paperbacks. Um, well, I have the movie tie-in version of uh, The Bloody Spur as well. I'm glad you mentioned that because that is really the genesis of this episode. I was watching one of the movie channels. It was not Turner Classic, but they were showing While the City Sleeps. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm pretty obsessive, I suppose, about watching the credits at the beginning and the credits at the end, which are much longer now than they used to be back in, in the in the days when that film was made. But I was looking at, at the credits and it said, based on the story by Charles Einstein. And I thought, could that be the same Charles Einstein that I know as the baseball writer? And sure enough, it was. And then from my memory, it couldn't have been more than a few days later that the film showed on Noir Alley on Turner yeah. Classic Movies. 
with our mutual friend, Eddie Muller. Yes. And he mentioned Einstein and that his father had known Einstein when they were in San Francisco, and thus this episode was born. So thanks to Eddie Muller for putting us together. Yeah, the funny thing is Eddie and I have known each other uh, for years, um, but it wasn't we didn't know that we both knew Charlie, you know, until until uh, years later. And then when I wrote about him, uh, he, he messaged me. Uh, and then we talked a little bit before he did his intro for uh, While the City Sleeps. But I also have a, a real curio of Charlie's um, TV novelization tie-in of the Naked City TV show, uh, which is credited to Sterling Silifant, but Charlie wrote stories for it. Uh, he he uh, novelized Actually, they're like short novels, uh, some of the TV episodes. That's wonderful to know because actually uh, an episode that we have in the works is about Howard Rodman, who liked Sterling Siliphant, and he came in a little later with uh, Naked City, as I recall, after Sterling Siliphant. But he was a, a story editor. He was a writer. Eventually, he created the character uh, Harry O, Harry Orwell for the, the TV series, Harry O. So I'm thrilled to hear that there, there's a connection with Charles Einstein and the Naked City. Yeah, also, uh, you know, um, his son is a writer. Howard Rodman Jr. is a writer. Yeah. And uh, he just had a book come out last year. I, I met him at, a, at an event in Philly a while back, and his father had quite a career. Uh, he was a, he worked with Don Siegel for a long time. Uh, he right. did some some terrific movies. He wrote Charlie Barrick and Madigan and uh, some great stuff. Well, Charlie Barrick is one of my favorites. The last of the independents. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, um, that's great. Uh, Wallace, what are you working on right now? I have a novel coming out in April. It's called Heaven's a Lie. It's a standalone crime novel, and it'll be out from Mulholland Books uh, in April. And that'll be my yeah, that that'll be the ninth ninth novel. I well, we will be watching for that and be sure to let our listeners know as, as that is coming out. And again, I want to thank you so much for taking time to talk about Charles Einstein. Well, thank you. I appreciate, I appreciate your interest, and I always, I always appreciate getting a chance to talk about Charlie. He was one of a kind. Where Have You Gone, Charles Einstein will continue after a short break, and I'll have more to say about the latter part of his career. Do you have an idea for an episode of Where Have You Gone? A person, place, or thing gone but not forgotten, or forgotten but not gone, with a connection to the mid-20th century? If you do, let us know. Connect with us on Facebook at Where Have You Gone Podcast or on Twitter at WHYG Podcast. And now, back to the show. Charles Einstein's place in the annals of baseball literature was secure well before Willie's time, a memoir, was published in 1979. It's on the short list of the 100 best baseball books as chosen by Mike Shannon, 
the writer, not the former St. Louis Cardinals third baseman, for his 1989 book Diamond Classics. Check the index to Diamond Classics and you'll find only one reference to the Pulitzer Prize. That was for Willie's time, so that book is on an extremely short list. Shannon points out that Willie's time focuses on three primary subjects. Politics, Einstein's career as a journalist, and the life and playing career of Willie Mays. As such, the book offers as much to someone interested in the politics of 1951 to 1974, or interested in journalism, as it does to someone interested in baseball. Considering that the United States is now over 240 years old, the 24 years of Willie's time is but a small snapshot of the overall history. But as it relates to this program, it falls within the sweet spot of the mid-20th century. If you're 45 years old or younger, you were born after Willie Mays retired. If you are old enough to remember the 1960s and the 1970s, you may still benefit in a refresher course in how great Willie Mays was. There's considerable opinion that he was the greatest player of all time. That makes him the greatest living baseball player. Ironically, that's a title once bestowed upon Joe DiMaggio, until DiMaggio died on March 8, 1999, since in many ways, Mays followed in the footsteps of DiMaggio. In 1987, when Einstein was well into the second half of his career, he edited the fourth Fireside Book of Baseball. The cover of the book calls it the Fireside Book of Baseball, fourth edition. The title was a sore point with Einstein. In his chapter of Baseball, The Writer's Game by Mike Shannon, Einstein says that the title is simply incorrect. He said, that's got to be the worst title in history because nobody will review it. Einstein points out that the phrase, all new material, was added to the front cover. He points out that the last thing the anthology contains is all new material. It's filled with previously published material dating back to 1914. Einstein was displeased with the entire look of the fourth Fireside Book of Baseball. It's soft cover, the first three volumes were hardcover, and the fourth book is smaller in its trim size than the first three books. Nearly 35 years after its publication, the cosmetic issues with the fourth Fireside Book of Baseball or the Fireside Book of Baseball 4th Edition All-New Material take a back seat to the collected material. Even though the fourth book did not make the cut for Shannon's Diamond Classics, each of the first three Fireside books did. Since the third Fireside Book of Baseball was published in 1968, to state the obvious, it contains nothing written after 1968. By my count, 81 of the 107-some articles in the fourth book were published between 1969 and 1987 by the likes of Ira Burkow, Roy Blunt Jr., Thomas Boswell, Jim Boughton, Peter Gammons, Adam Gopnik, Bill James, Pat Jordan, Garrison Keeler, Daniel Okrent, Mike Shannon, Dan Shaughnessy, John Thorne, and George Will, 
to name only a few of a new generation of writers and writing captured in one volume. Variety is one of the strongest attributes of the Fireside books. Not just the articles, but the drawings, cartoons, pictures, and poems. Einstein wrote the preface to his fourth Fireside book in New York in 1987. He noted that the four books include well over 400 text pieces, totaling maybe 1,500,000 words, as well as some 400 illustrations. And he wrote, And as for the literature of the game, is there any other subject that can bring together a Robert Fitzgerald, a William Kennedy, a James Michener, a Heim Potok, a Mordecai Reichler, a Philip Roth, an Irwin Shaw, and a John Updike, all within the pages of a single volume. They're all united by baseball writing, but it was Einstein who brought them together in four books that stand the test of time and have become treasured literature. mentioned the television documentary, A Man Named Maze, and there's a wonderful story about how that documentary came to be in the biography Willie Mays, The Life, The Legend, by James S. Hirsch, authorized by Willie Mays, published in 2010. And Hirsch talks about the genesis of the project in 1963 and a brash young filmmaker named Lee Mendelson, who had made documentaries at a local San Francisco television station and then uh, having won a Peabody Award, went out on his own. Uh, Hirsch says that Mendelssohn's great love was baseball and that he persuaded Joe DiMaggio to do a, a interview for a story, but there wasn't enough there to do a documentary. And Mendelssohn turned his attentions to Willie Mays, in part after reading a book on Mays written by Charles Einstein. Hirsch talks about television documentaries at that time and uh, how a documentary on a baseball star really did not fit with other documentaries of that time period. But he got Einstein involved. He got Mays to go along with the idea. He pitched it to CBS, and CBS was willing to do it, but he also had an offer out to NBC. He went back to NBC, and according to uh, Hirsch's biography of Mays, the person at NBC said, we'll give you $50,000 and run it in prime time. The book says that uh, Mendelssohn recalls, I almost passed out. The 60-minute length that NBC wanted was twice what Mendelssohn had envisioned, so he went out and added to what he already had with more film footage and so forth and came up with a documentary that 
I think, stands the test of time. Uh, there's much more to the Lee Mendelssohn story, but that's another story for another time. I'll be back to wrap up Where Have You Gone, Charles Einstein, after a short break. We hope you are enjoying this episode of Where Have You Gone? For more information about the show, its topics, and its guests, check out our website at whygpodcast.com. There you can also find recommendations for fascinating books, films, TV shows, and recordings to learn even more about our topics, guests, and ideas. You can also find us on Facebook at Where Have You Gone hyphen podcast and on Twitter at WHYG podcast. And now back to the episode. Charles Einstein's obituary in the New York Times reports that he died on March 7th, 2007 in Michigan City, Indiana. He was 80 years old. Michigan City is up near Lake Michigan and Interstate 94, about 30 miles east of Gary, Indiana. Charles Einstein was survived by three sons, David, Jeffrey, and Michael, a daughter, Lori Einstein, his half-brothers Bob and Clifford Einstein and Albert Brooks, and three grandchildren. His wife, Corinne, had died in 1989. Bob, also known as Super Dave Osborne, passed away in 2019. Earlier, speaking to Wallace Strobe, I referenced his much more personal remembrance of Einstein. It can be found at wallacestrobe.com. Strobe notes that in 2006... Einstein was leaving New Jersey at the urging of his son, Mike, and making the move to Michigan City. At the end, Einstein's son, Jeff, reported that Charles had died at St. Anthony's Memorial Hospital in Michigan City and that his health had been steadily declining over the past year. Jeff said that he died peacefully in his sleep. Charles Einstein is gone. But his writing and the great fireside anthologies live on. Willie's Time is probably the easiest of Einstein's books to find. For the moment, the television broadcast A Man Named Maze is available at YouTube. While the City Sleeps, the film version of Einstein's novel The Bloody Spur, is available on DVD. Like Charles Einstein, Mark Harris is best known for his baseball writing and, in particular, the creation of the character Henry Wigan, featured in four novels, the best known being Bang the Drum Slowly. Like Einstein, there's much more to the writing of Mark Harris than baseball. Please join me for our next episode when I ask, Where Have You Gone, Mark Harris? Thanks again to Wallace Strobe for joining me to talk about Charles Einstein. In addition to his novels, Strobe has written a fine introduction to a 2020 edition of the novel Waltz into Darkness, 
by Cornell Woolrich. You may recognize the name Cornell Woolrich. He's been called the Hitchcock of the written word. His short story, Rear Window, was the basis for the 1954 Hitchcock film of the same name. And be sure to check out www.wallacestroby.com. I'm Morris Eckhaus, host of Where Have You Gone? Our music was composed and performed by Harry Richardson. Our logo was designed by Jeff Santala. Thanks to Alan Feniger, Bruce Bonner, Mark Presser, Greg Brown, and Carl Mastercola. The Where Have You Gone podcast is produced by Alan Eckhaus. Where Have You Gone is a production of The Morwin Company.